You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know that feeling when you have something that's really been bothering you or when you've been fixating on something in your life that's looming large in your mind? We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big and small, and I think we inherently know that when we keep them bottled up inside, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. Therapy isn't just for people who have experienced major trauma. There are plenty of benefits it can have for everyone. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. And don't underestimate the power of boundaries either. Those are super important. If you've been wondering if you should give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's a fully online experience and designed from the ground up to be convenient and customizable to your schedule. To get started, you just have to fill out a brief questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com filmdaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash film daily. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. 
Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? Ryan, there are a couple things that I forgot to mention in yesterday's episode uh, about the Oscar nominations. Um, I didn't mention Rachel McAdams did not get a nomination for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I thought she was great in that movie. It was kind of bummed to see that. And then The Taste of Things, which is one of my favorite movies of the year, uh, was completely shut out. So I was sad to see that as well. Um, just sort of listening back to that episode, I realized I completely bungled uh, saying anything about those two things. So I just wanted to say that. Um Okay, let's get into the news today, Ryan. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, one thing that I just wanted to mention briefly up top is that Norman Jewison passed away. He was the director uh, of a bunch of different movies. He died at age 97 was when he passed away. Um, but this guy is notable because the range of his filmmaking is kind of incredible. So he, he directed movies like Cincinnati Kid, In the Heat of the Night, the original Thomas Crown Affair, Fiddler on the Roof, the original Rollerball, and Justice for All with Al Pacino. Um, Moonstruck with Nicolas Cage and Cher, uh, Only You, the, the romantic comedy with Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr., uh, The Hurricane starring Denzel Washington. I mean, this guy had, had you know, worked in the business since like the early 50s and stopped directing movies, I think, in like the early 2000s. So he had like a 50 plus year career, basically, and just ran the gamut on all these different types of movies. It's so rare to see filmmakers be able to stretch themselves and like work in different genres that way now. I mean, they, that used to happen all the time back in like whatever the golden age of Hollywood. But I just thought it was notable because uh, this guy was working through, you know, arguably some of the greatest periods in, in American movies. And um, he directed some some really great ones. So uh, RIP to Norman Jewison. Um yeah, it's Ryan. easy to get pigeonholed in this business, but, uh, you know, I didn't admittedly see a lot of his movies, but looking over that resume and like what he did, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Like what, yeah. what, what an absolute career. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So getting into, uh, some other news here, there's been a book of Eli prequel show that has been announced and John Boyega is stepping in for Denzel Washington. It's going to take place 30 years before the events of the movie and Denzel, I'm sorry, John Boyega is going to be playing the same character that, uh, that Denzel played in that movie. Um, so I'm curious one, Ryan, what is your relationship to the book of Eli? Did you see that movie? Do you, do you, did you like watch it often? Do you think fondly of it? And then two, what do you think about John Boyega doing this? It's like sort of a next step in his career. It's a sci-fi movie I saw once that I think is okay. I don't, this is an odd, this is one of those odd, like sort of IP for the sake of IP things. I love John Boyega. So like, I'm all for like giving this a shot because he's involved, but I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I've been, I, I, there are times where I, get a little bummed out with like some of the things that have happened in his career, like outside of star Wars, like with like Pacific Rim two, not really panning out and some of this stuff. And, and I just hope this, this is like, this does pan out. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, like I, I'm not, I'm not like filled like with optimism or intrigue about this. Uh, just cause again, like for me, book of Eli is like a forgettable 2000 sci-fi movie. That's fine. I, I don't really know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I'm not really sure what you get out of it, especially as a series. I don't know if it's got like enough juice. I don't know how you feel about it, but that's kind of where I like it. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm on a similar wavelength. I enjoyed the movie when I saw it, but I have not thought about it really again. And I've certainly have not rewatched it um, since 2010 when it came out. So it's been a long time now. Um, I, I remember the ending being kind of one of those like, holy shit moments. And I'm, I guess I'm going to spoil 
the ending of the book of Eli. So if you've not caught up with the movie, just fast forward ahead a couple minutes. But um, Ryan, do you remember that the movie reveals the very end that Denzel's character has been blind the whole time? And that's like a big reveal that the audience didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like a, it's, it's definitely like a, like a, like a bit of an oh shit moment, but yeah. um, So I guess like the fact that this, story is picking up 30 years before that like are we going to find out how that character has been blinded or like was he born blind i don't know if we know that information again i've not revisited the book of eli so uh i don't know and that just seems like one of those sort of prequel things that like you're waiting to um to find out i'm reminded of uh <laughs> this is really stupid so I, forgive me for this tangent have you seen um i believe it's hot tub time machine two (laughs) i have seen i have seen both hot tub time machine movies multiple times okay so maybe thank you so maybe you can actually help clarify this for me i have a memory of from one of those movies i can't remember if it's the first or the second but there's there's a character i believe he's played by chevy chase that had some sort of like uh his arm was missing or something like this in like the the main timeline and the characters go back in time and the chevy chase character has two arms so like the entire movie is spent like with these characters kind of on pins and needles anytime oh, that, that no, character that's, is around. Uh, that's Crispin Glover's character in the first Oh, yes, one. okay. Yes, yeah, okay. and he's like, the, he's like the bellhop at the hotel, and they keep like wanting to see how he loses his arm, and they keep having these close calls with <laughs> yes. like, oh, this, and then he eventually does lose it, but they manage to like put it back on. Anyway, I, I am a, I'm pretty fond of that first uh, Hot Tub Time Machine movie. Yes, okay. Um, but so yeah, yeah maybe crunch. this is like, oh, how does he go blind? Yeah, I see what you're getting at here. Like, it's yeah. Similar. It's, it's that... I mean, that movie did a good job of sort of making fun of that type of thing happening in projects like this, you know, like in, in the, that sort of like um, symptom of prequels that comes up a lot. Um, so I hope that this is not what that is. And Gary Whitta, who was one of the screenwriters behind Rogue One, a Star Wars story, um, wrote the screenplay for the Book of Eli, or at least was one of the credited writers on it. And he is coming back to be sort of associated in some way with uh, this new movie version, or I'm sorry, this new TV series version. Um, so anyway, I, I hope this pans out uh, just because I also really like John Boyega. I think he's like a super charismatic actor that yeah. has has been like sort of... Um, you know, his career has not gone the way that I have wanted it to go from the outside. So yeah, he's uh, my choice. If you were to ask me like, who do you want to be bond next? That's who I, that's Oh man, that's cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've heard his, uh, his name in that conversation very much, but that would be really awesome. Um, yeah. He was like, that was the thing that I like again, not that anyone gives me like, you know, any keys to Hollywood, but that would be my thing is like, let him be bond. Like, cause you know, yeah. Because everyone's like Idris Elba. I'm like, we missed that window. Let's go yeah. another way. <laughs> yeah, anyway, we're way that's, beyond that's that. another conversation entirely. Yes. Uh, okay, so speaking of other conversations, let's have a, a quick conversation about Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. This is a new video game that is going to be like a first-person game that is one of the first Indiana Jones video games in, a, in quite some time. I mean, there, there have been some. I remember like playing an old, old, like almost pr- the original Prince of Persia-style Indiana Jones game on my parents' PC when I was, you know... 10 yeah. 12 years old or something like and that I, and i think there were some like i i believe it was around when crystal skull came out they had like the, the movie direct movie tie-in games used to be a lot more popular and i believe mm-hmm. there was an indiana jones game like that at one point um i could be wrong but i think there was so what do you think uh, about the i mean i know you're a big indie fan what do you think about the trailer for this um indie video game oh i love it i'm i'm so 100 on board and I, I know some people have kind of been a little back and forth on the first person element because like you're 
basically like it's not third person like you're not looking at indie you are like in indie shoes and i think that's awesome like i love it i think that troy baker doing indie is a great casting i think um it, it like feels indiana jones i love that it's set between raiders and um last crusade i think it's mm-hmm. nice to like revisit that classic timeline and there's a pretty nice gap to fill in there like and i think like even just the great circle like what we're learning about that in the trailer like oh that is such an indiana jones thing like yeah. i love yeah so i'm i'm like all in on this i don't know how you feel but i'm way on board i i love uh, basically everything about this except for the first person thing i'm not fully sold on that i'm one of those people that you mentioned that's kind of like ah, okay I, I, you know i i I just got a PlayStation 5 like right after Christmas this year. So I'm playing the new Spider-Man game, uh, Spider-Man 2 right now. And it's so much fun. And I just love the third person aspect of being able to like see the world around you and like the immersive nature of a first person thing that they're trying to do here, I guess to me makes more sense almost as like a VR experience or something than it does, you know, with like a a PlayStation or Xbox controller or whatever in your hand. Um, And I may be in the minority uh, on that front. I just feel like, you know, th- there's something about Indy that like I, I want to see him. I don't want to like be, I don't, I don't want to be him. I want to see him. No, that I get that. Sense. I think, I think that there's going to be a healthy mix of that though, because there's going to be like enough cinematics and stuff, I think to go around and then you'll, so I think it'll kind of be a healthy blend. Yeah. Um. But uh. yeah, I don't know. Cause I kind of got the, did you ever play any like the Far Cry games? Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this kind of like my thing where I feel like that, you know, it's I got it's not that it's like one to one or whatever, but I kind of felt like, you know, Far Cry works good as a first person thing. And I think this That's could true. be similar. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just think story wise and um, what I'm saying, yeah, the I, look I, of I, it and the story looks great. Yeah. And, and the way they're using the music and, and you know, the, the villain and I don't know, it all just seems very like uh, it, it, <clears throat> it just seems very much like, oh, yes, this is exactly what I would want from an Indiana Jones game. So, I, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very on board. Um. But yeah, I, I can see I can see the argument against the first person thing for sure. Cause like that I haven't gotten to play Spider-Man 2 yet, but that first uh 2018 Spider-Man game, mm-hmm. which I only finally got to play for the first time last year because I got a Steam Deck, is you know, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. So I get wanting that experience through Indiana Jones. But I think this is kind of trying to do something a little unique, and I'm on board for that. Yeah, I've seen people say, like, you know, if you have a third-person version, it's basically just the Uncharted games, which, of course, took a lot of inspiration from the Indiana they Jones did, film yeah. franchise. So, like, I, I guess I understand that. I think my big hang-up, um, not to belabor the point here, is just, like, the idea that um, Indiana Jones is kind of like a puzzle solver in a way and, like, you know, searching for things and, uh, you know, being in rooms where you have to look around and grab wheels and drag them across the room and put them in different places like just the idea of like being forced to um maneuver the joystick around more than you would in the third person scenario because you're literally looking through his eyes and and uh your field of vision is much smaller in um a first person type of scenario like this that it just makes it seem like solving puzzles which seems like a a decent percentage of what this game is going to be might be a little bit more um difficult than just like uh burdensome or something you know than than it would be in a third person environment but we'll see uh yeah i'm willing to i'm not sure yet i'm very much like i don't know if you ever watch it's always sunny in philadelphia but i'm very much Mm -hmm. like uh mac and charlie uh no puzzles no puzzles no puzzles um i uh yeah, I have a hard like when I play Resident <laughs> Evil, like anytime there's a puzzle, I'm like, oh, God, no, because like that's I'm, I'm not particularly good at that. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. 
Okay. So Indiana Jones and the Great Circle, that's supposed to come out at some point uh, later this year. So stay tuned for that. Uh, let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about some more big news. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Ryan, uh, the Nick season three could still happen. I think there was some discussion uh, a while ago. Well, I'll, I'll back up a step. The Nick uh, was a two season show that aired on Cinemax. Did you ever see this show by any chance? Uh, no, I never got around to it. Um, I I know very vaguely that it's about like early medicine, basically. Yeah. I don't quite even. Re- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Clive Owen starred, uh, Steven Soderbergh directed every single episode of the show, and uh, it basically takes place like right around 1900 in New York City. And uh, I caught up with the show for the first time, like right around the early days of the pandemic, and it is uh, terrific. Like one of my all-time favorite viewing experiences, just a really, really, really good show. I mean, kind of gruesome, like the they get into, because of the early medicine stuff, there's a lot of like surgeries and like kind of gnarly stuff that you see on screen in terms of that stuff um so if you're a little squeamish i would say maybe like watch with caution um but the storylines are great the performances are unbelievable and soderbergh directing every every episode i mean it's just like elite stuff you know so um I'm, I'm have been excited for a long time that you know they basically they they canceled the show after two seasons, but then I think it was three or four years ago there was word that maybe a third season uh, could actually happen, and Barry Jenkins, who directed Moonlight and uh, a bunch of other stuff, might actually come back to direct the the new show, and it might pick up with Andre Holland's character, who played like a supporting role in the original series as being like the main focus of whatever this third season slash reboot uh, ends up being. Um, so that happened like three or four years ago. There were those the sort of early points of those conversations and then nothing really happened. And I think even recently there was some talk that like, Oh, maybe this is done. Like maybe that idea fell apart. But uh, very recently, like this past week, I think Andre Holland said that season three is definitely going to happen. He basically said that, he caught up with Barry Jenkins recently and they uh, talked and, and Barry Jenkins is, is quote, still in lockstep with us uh, about what they want to do with it. So um, he, he said it will still happen and uh, that the original creators, Jack Emile and Michael Begler would still be involved. And maybe even some of the other actors from the original show might be coming back um, as well. So uh, no timeline yet, but um, I just wanted to use this as an opportunity to 
express my excitement for this and uh, encourage more people to watch the Nick, which is streaming on Max right now. Um, and I would encourage you to do that too, Ryan. So did please. this? Did this quote? Not did this not because I watched the little video clip. Did this not strike you as like someone trying to sort of like will the project into existence still? Like, because that's oh, I didn't watch I, the video. That's interesting. I just yeah, the there was a, it was like a, on the Raps Twitter feed they had like the, the little video interview and because uh, when this came up uh, in our Slack channel the other day, I almost ended up writing it for us, but then someone better suited to it did. But, but I just watched the clip and it did strike me a little bit as like, yeah, it's totally going to happen. Like it's, you know, someone trying to kind of keep the, keep the, which I'm all for, like keep the hope alive or whatever, mm. it's something you want to do. But yeah, it did strike me a bit of like kind of trying to keep the ball in the air. Okay. But, so maybe you know, not quite as, uh, as concrete as I'm hoping, maybe a little bit more, uh, yeah, look, just again, floating that's, it. That's my read on it. But like, because also like Barry Jenkins is currently, he's finishing that, Mufasa Lion King mm -hmm. prequel, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. But I mean, I think this is like one of those shows that my understanding is that it's it's following has sort of gained a lot in the years since it, it, it originally aired. And it does feel like one of those like revival shows that like people could could get behind. I could see it happening. Yeah, I guess there's no um, one of the things is that there's no home for it. Like Cinemax doesn't really exist in the same way that it did. But, you know, when the show was actually being made, they're they're not making originals um, in that same way. Uh, and so, you know, is it going to end up on Max? Is it going to go to some other streamer? Who knows? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of crossing my fingers and hoping that yeah, uh, someone will take happen. it. If, like if it does well on Max, they might take it. Someone will take it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Ryan, the real reason that I wanted to have you on this show is because of this next story that we're going to talk about. So there's a new Jurassic World movie that is in the works. And uh, David Kep, who was the screenwriter behind the original Jurassic Park film, the 1993 movie, is writing the screenplay for this, which is like... In kind of incredible news. Um, you know, it, 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 I guess your your excitement on this uh, may vary depending on what you think of the um, the entire Jurassic franchise and the direction that it's taken. But you're one of the biggest Jurassic Park fans that I know. So, what was your reaction when you heard this news for the first time? Well, Ben, as I sit here talking to you, staring at my Barbasol shaving can on my desk at the uh, Jurassic Park uh, T-Rex concept art hanging on my wall, um, <laughs> uh, at the John Hammond cane topper sitting upon my shelf, um, I, uh, look, I, I will defend, I mean, first off, Jurassic Park is my favorite movie of all time, and it is maybe one of my favorite things that exists in the world. Like, not just movies, like, I love Jurassic Park so much, but also, Bigger defender of the lost world than most people. Um, I often joke that uh, Jurassic Park 3 is the worst movie I've seen the most times. Um, and I actually love Jurassic World. Like the first Jurassic World, I full on love it. I make no apologies about it. Um, at the same token, uh, I don't think I've ever been more disappointed in a movie than I was in Jurassic World Dominion. So like, you know, there's a bit of a mixed thing here. But when you talk about David Kep coming back, to the guy that turned Michael Crichton's novel into one of the best blockbusters of all time. Like I, that to me, I mean, I was through the roof the other day when this came up, I would not shut up in our Slack channel, as you all know. <laughs> and I, and I, I, cause I'm just like, my, my mind was racing. Like I could not chill out and like, I'm choosing to be optimistic here. And I, but I do think him coming back is like really fascinating. Like what, and apparently like the script is really far along. Like they've managed to keep this quiet and the, the THR article, I'm skeptical about this, but they, but they said a possible 2025 release date might not be off the table. Mm -hmm. So like, this is apparently pretty far along. So I'm like, Oh hell yeah, let's go. You know, like, <laughs> and look, I, 
I will take a new Jurassic Park movie any day of the week. Like I hopefully it's better than Dominion, but like I, for the most part, you know, like I cherish these movies. So I'm, I'm very excited. And I, and I might, I, but I, it, it sort of begs the question of like, what the hell are they going to do? Cause like the end of Dominion sort of like, I just don't know what more you can do with the world that they have sort of established. But mm-hmm. um, so I don't know if they're going to do like an in-between quill was kind of what I was thinking where like, mm. you know, are they going to go back? Like, cause what I always thought is like, well, there, there had to be that Isla Nubar reclamation project, right? Like before they actually made Jurassic world. And then there's that new Jurassic park video game coming out where like, you're sort of dealing with like, someone who got stuck on the island after it was abandoned. Like, so I don't know that I think that there are things you can do. I, I'm not sure what way they're going to go, but I, I, I would, uh, something like that wouldn't surprise me. Like if it sort of went a little further back in the timeline, but mm-hmm. well, we knew that this was going to happen because you interviewed Frank Marshall and he basically told you like, there are going to be more films in this franchise b- besides the, Oh, he said trilogy. it like point blank. Like he wasn't yeah. even like people usually play coy. Like he was like, no, no, no. Like we're going to make more of them. And I, you know, and, and so, but again, I also wrote a thing for us about like these movies, not only were there big hits, like, you know, Dominion, one of very few movies since the pandemic to gross a billion worldwide, um, surprisingly thrifty for modern blockbusters, like Jurassic World Dominion, even though it filmed during the pandemic had like a $165 million budget, you know, like, which like most big blockbusters like that now are 200 million or more. So the, and, and the fact that these movies, through six movies have made $6 billion at the global box office against an average budget of $130 million. Like the rate of return on that is crazy for, and that's not to mention the theme park stuff, cable, mm-hmm. Blu-ray, you know, all the, all the, mer- like this is a franchise with a lot of downstream revenue. So like if they move away from the Jurassic world cast and they bring in like a new cast and you either go back in the timeline, whatever, like you can get off cheaper that way. So if they make it for, let's say 150 million, like let's just throw that word out there, out there, even if it only makes four or 500 million worldwide, which it could limp to given how popular these movies are. When you look at what that does for the back catalog of the other movies, the merchandise, everything else, it's still going to be a moneymaker. So of course they're going to do this, but yeah. um, Yeah. And we should say that uh, the plot details are currently being kept under wraps, but they've said that it's supposed to launch a quote, new Jurassic era whatever that means. So I think it is possible that they end up going with just like a completely fresh cast and don't try to go with the whole, you know, bring it back, bring the original people back or bring even the most recent trilogy cast back or any of that stuff. And I would, I would frankly much rather that approach than like trying to shoehorn Chris Pratt back into one of these things or whatever. So, yeah, I I um, don't think, I don't think like the, I think those characters are kind of like, they, they kind of did what they could do with those characters. Like, I don't know, but again, even like at this point, like let's say this takes place after dominion. Like what is it? Kingdom of the planet of the dinosaurs. Like, I don't know like what it is even like it's it's, like I, I, that, so I, 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 and I also think nostalgia is caught up with this and like, there's like a big nineties nostalgia thing right now. So it wouldn't be super hard for me to imagine like a a nineties set movie, right? Like sort of dealing with some of the other stuff that we didn't see. Um, that would, I don't know. Like, and especially if you did like a stranded on Ela Nublar, like survival story with like people who got left behind or something like, you could conceivably do that like as a survival horror thing, like cheaper, maybe Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, you know, but, um, 
yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm my head, my, my mind is racing as to why like David Kep would come back. And like, that's just the thing I keep going back to. Like he hasn't been involved in this in so long, like what got him back and why him? And I just like, can't stop thinking about it. And it just, yeah. I'm brimming with optimism. Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm so, you know, I, I can't like the guy that wrote my favorite movie of all time is coming back to, to do that again. And I just, I, 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 I can completely understand why some people would feel oh, why do we need another one? Or there's pessimism. But like, if, if you're me, there is, this is nothing but exciting, at least for now. Who knows? But like, yeah. I, I choose to, well, where do you fall on this? Are you at all interested or like where? I'm know, definitely, I, I'm interested because as we've talked about, like the concept of dinosaurs in the modern world, it just seems like such a, a slam dunk concept. And it's so strange that Jurassic World seems to have cornered the market on that. We talked about that when 65, the Adam Driver movie came out. Yeah. That it's like one of the rare movies that involved dinosaurs and, and you know, had human characters interacting with them in that way in sort of like a modern context. Um, so I, you know, conceptually, it makes a lot of sense. And, and of course, like Universal is not going to just let this go, like they've got too much invested in it. And so, you know, part of me is kind of like, um, resigned myself to the to the understanding that these are coming, and I might as well uh, try to be somewhat optimistic about it. But but frankly, like David Kep's involvement does have me more optimistic than I would be otherwise. That's for sure. Um, I, I just really am curious about what tack they're going to take here because there's so much. You know, this world almost reminds me of like not quite to this degree because so so far these movies have only taken planet uh, only taken place on planet earth so it's not quite star wars ish but in terms of like the potential for what types of stories you could tell with this as the sort of uh, foundation or the the backdrop for it um you know there's so many different types of you know even genres that you could go into where dinosaurs just pop in every once in a while or something it doesn't have to be all dinosaurs all the time even so like there's just a lot of um creative paths that these people can take and my hope is that david kep has seen you know the direction that this most recent trilogy went in saw that yes it made a bunch a bunch of money but like almost everybody was disappointed with it and said okay i've got something that might be able to like you know uh light a fire back under this franchise again and and make things interesting instead of just like continuing it for the sake of continuing it so yeah i do i do get the sense that he wouldn't necessarily come back to this unless it was like an idea that he was pretty thrilled about you know what i mean like because yeah and it's also like they made because no he doesn't need to you know he it's not like he needs no. money he's like one of the mo- one of the best like he's, he's written so many movies this guy like does not need the job you know unbelievably so. prolific screenwriter and and i also think like they made no mention of like colin trevorrow or anything so it does seem like they are moving in a different direction. Whatever that yeah, direction they've said, is. Uh, yeah, they've said no director has been announced yet. Um, and so they're not sure. I mean, David Kep conceivably could direct it. He's yeah. directed several How movies. How busy is Guillermo um, right now? Like, would Oh, we, man. <laughs> could, could we, yeah, I, I, not, not that I... Well, because I, I had pitched... Uh, I, I read the... I had never read the novel until, like, 2020. And then I... It's crazy how different the novel is from the from the the movie and I'd never imagined like a remake of it. But then like once I read the book, I was like, I could see like a very like slavishly like at adapted like remake, but like you keep it to the book. And then my pitch was like, yeah, have Guillermo do it. 
have like Ken Watanabe be a, you know, Hammond and like, and I had this whole like idea <laughs> of like what I'd like to see, but like, because if you're going to go darker with it and you want like more of a horror lean, I just, something about like Guillermo liking monsters anyway and like viewing like, like his lens through dinosaurs as monsters, I always thought would be cool, but. Okay, so no, now I'm just now, fantastic. But. Well, you got me thinking about this, Ryan. I was about to transition to our next topic, but now you've you've opened up this line of thought in my head. The phrase "a new Jurassic era" I thought meant forward on the timeline, but what if it means going back and redoing the original thing? And David Kep, obviously having written the original movie, what if he's just rewriting the original movie again, or or sort of like readapting the first book and essentially like. Uh, overseeing a reboot here like it, well it, and th- that is an option like because we talked a little bit about this in the slack channel the other day like you know i i wouldn't again i wouldn't shut up about it and you guys indulge me thank you um but uh yeah like there's only a few options right you're either gonna reboot this like you're like and i don't think that's off the table like i don't think that's totally off the table like you completely you just kind of go back to the beginning you reboot it you do a direct sequel to dominion or you do like you're, you're filling gaps. You do Dave Filoni style storytelling, mm. you know, where you're like sort of working in the margins and you're finding interesting stories to tell in the margins. Those are kind of your three options. And I'm more inclined to believe Kep would either do a reboot or working in the margins storytelling rather than just like trying to figure out what the hell to do after Dominion. Mm. Like that, that that's my guess. I don't know, but uh, yeah. we'll see. Okay, so the last story that I wanted to mention is um, is a, a relatively small story, you know, uh, I guess relatively like inside baseball kind of story, but I feel like it might actually have some pretty significant impacts on the way that Netflix movies work. Because Scott Stuber, who is the head of Netflix's original film division and has been since 2017, uh, is leaving his position. So he's going to be starting a new media company. This guy was the producer of movies like Ted and Identity Thief, like well before he joined up with Netflix. But he was the one who essentially like reached out his hand and and uh, created all these relationships with these auteur filmmakers that have worked with Netflix over the years. Martin Scorsese, Alfonso Cuaron, the Spike Lee, uh, the, the Coen brothers, um, Noah Baumbach, Jane Campion, like all, all these big name uh, prestige filmmakers, if you want to call them that. The reason that they came is because Scott Stuber was working with Netflix and he was their sort of like go-to touchpoint guy uh, at the streamer. So he is now leaving Netflix and that leaves a huge hole in the streamers uh, executive ranks, if you want to call them that. And so there's no um, full-time replacement announced yet. And it just leaves a lot of questions about what Netflix's plans are moving forward. So what was your take on hearing this news, Ryan? Well, the one thing I will say, credit to the rap, they released a report after this came out and what it sounds like is that Scott Stuber had been pushing very heavily to get Netflix to do theatrical and like he had been wanting to push bigger on theatrical and he believed that that was the way to have make these movies have staying power and he believed and like and there just was a ton of pushback and he that never really worked out so it seemed like that was the biggest point of contention and I do think it's interesting that Apple, Amazon, like every other, you know, a company with a streaming outlet is now leaning harder on theatrical. Netflix kind of is like the lone holdout. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So that was like my big thing is like, you know, clearly because we saw flourishes of that with like Glass Onion and some of this other stuff. And my and what it seems like is Scott Stuber was the guy that made that stuff happen. But he wanted a lot more of it. 
Yeah, he um, definitely but then, did. But then there was also frustrations with like, you know, a lot of these movies that he kind of shepherded along were very expensive, but they didn't have any staying power. Like, um, what was that Gal Gadot movie from last year? Oh, uh, uh, Heart of Stone. Heart of Stone. Like it popped and then it flicks top 10, but then it just completely like, you know, disappears and no one ever talks about it. Um, you know, so like that was apparently a bit of a contentious point. So I don't know. Like, I think like whatever Scott Stuber does next, he's he's got a bit of a track record and it'll be interesting to see what he does outside of Netflix. Like, does he have more success, less success? And, and what does Netflix do without him? Like, do, do you just have someone else come in and like toe the line more that like is, understands they have no interest in theatrical? Like, you know, I don't know. It's, 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 it is interesting. And I think you're also seeing too, like a lot of these filmmakers want theatrical releases. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so I think like, it's going to be harder and harder to get like some of these people, like if they can get a deal somewhere else where, they'll get a theatrical release and Netflix won't give it to them, then they're going to go somewhere else. So Yeah, and the relationship thing is is really a big deal because Stuber was a producer. He was like in the trenches with these people and, and could relate to folks on that level. So if you just get like some sort of, I don't know, nameless or, or faceless executive uh, to step in and take his place and then basically like, you know, like you said, sort of toe the company line and be more aligned with what Ted Sarandos, the CEO of Netflix, uh, uh once which is not a theatrical stuff like are, is netflix basically just giving up on the idea of working with auteurs and making these sort of prestige movies because that, that would be like a pretty big shift in the way that the industry functions like netflix well, re- received the most oscar nominations of any movie studio in 2020 2021 and 2022 and yes you could say that that's because of the pandemic and because a lot of movies were pushed or whatever but like Netflix has been making prestige movies for a long time. And so without Stuber there to be that sort of buffer between these filmmakers and Ted Sarandos, who does not want theatrical releases, are they going to come at all? Or is Netflix basically just going to say, okay, we're, we're just going to make more stuff like the gray man and red notice. And well, I think they're going to make less stuff. stuff like that actually, because I think those are the movies that they're like, okay, we spent a ton of money on these and they popped, but then nothing happened. Like, so I think, and I think the other thing you and I talked about this a little bit the other day, like, okay, like Netflix got a best picture nomination for Maestro, but, and Apple got one for Killers of the Flower Moon. You tell me which one of those you think has a better shot at actually winning. And, you know, like, I don't think it's any coincidence that like Killers of the Flower Moon got a gigantic theatrical push and, you know, Maestro was released in like three or four theaters or whatever the hell, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think that like that, I think it matters. Like I think, and, and so I also, but, but also I think it's, it, you know, Netflix has not won the big prize yet and they've tried very, very, very hard. And like the fact that, you know, Apple beat them to the punch with like an acquisition out of Sundance, you know, and then like, yeah, with Coda, with Coda, right. Which a movie I love them. But, but, um, so I don't know. I, I, I do think, and also now, like, I mean, it's kind of unquestionable that Netflix won the streaming wars. Like it, it almost seems like everyone else is surrendering. Like, Netflix is getting a lot more licensed content again. Like there's a ton of Warner brothers movies on there again. And like, so I feel like Netflix can lean more into licensing, spend a little bit less on originals, be more strategic about originals, maybe not sweat prestige as much focus more on mid budget stuff and just kind of like be the king of the streamers and like, you know, do more of this. Like they're doing what did, what they get WWE raw or whatever that is. They got the rights for that now, which is a big deal, you know? And so like they can, you know, do what Netflix does. Like, I don't, 
you know, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that like, like, I think Netflix has done some amazing stuff that like they've made movies that wouldn't have gotten made elsewhere just because mm-hmm. they, their business model is so unique. But I think it is going to change. And I think it's going to change to reflect the change in the landscape. And yeah, I'm just disappointed that that if that is the case, then those movies aren't probably aren't going to get made at, like at all. You know, Netflix was the place that that you could come to that had the ability to fund that thing and the interest in funding those projects and like giving a lot of money to these filmmakers to make to to sort of realize their visions in ways that um you know without the the same level of like studio notes and and that kind of stuff on that side of the process that these people could find at like traditional studios or whatever, or even other streamers. So um, yeah, it, it basically, I don't know. It, it depends on who Netflix hires to replace Scott Stuber, what their uh, strategy is. But right now there's just a lot of questions about like this, this could basically be an inflection point that ushers in an entirely new era of what Netflix looks like, you know, what Netflix movies look and feel like. And um, I think it's going to, I frankly, I think it's going to like, I th- and especially because I think we're at such a unique point with the streaming stuff. Um, where a lot of other companies are sort of like, I don't want to say throwing in the towel, but they're saying they're not there. I don't think that like they're going to go all in on streaming as their only business model. Like mm-hmm. it, we're going to a while ago. Yeah. And so I think that, yeah, Netflix is going to take their place as king of the hill, but they're going to adjust their strategy knowing that they're king of the hill and no one's coming to get them. You know, yeah. so I think that's a bit different. Um, and so it's interesting. Yeah. And as far as I know, Netflix is the only streaming service among the majors anyway that is like um profitable right now or like uh, yeah you know not like (laughs) basically siphoning off or or bleeding out you know millions if not billions of dollars a year yeah yeah um it looks like uh uh, it looks like disney plus is finally going to get to profitability i think next year um which is you know good good for them um I, i i can't take credit for this but i believe it like for this concept but like you know, like if Paramount shut down Paramount Plus tomorrow, their stock price would probably go through the roof because they're like, you know, spending billions on that. And same with Peacock. Like, I yeah. don't, you know, I, so I think that like this is going to be this is one of those things. Scott Stuber leaving is like Netflix in a period of transition and like you're going to start seeing. So that's a big deal for Netflix. But then you're going to start seeing how that ripples through other streaming services and other parts of the industry. And like we've talked about a lot, not all these services are going to make it. Yeah. And I think that like, this is kind of just part of the ever shifting tide of all this stuff. And, you know, I'd yep. be curious to see what this looks like in January of next year. You know? Yeah. Just- so yeah, stay tuned for more uh, developments on that ever shifting tide. Um, so I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. You can find more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com. I will link to a bunch of them in the show notes if you can access them. Uh, so you can access them that way as well. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That does help us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.